Thank you, Sister Newland. We are seekers of his heart, and that will never cease. In fact, one said we will always in eternity be approaching his absolute perfection, but we never will equal it. So it's going to be a pursuit of the holy from now on. I, uh, I'm so thankful that when I come to know Jesus, I found him in a church like your church that believed that God not only forgives us of our sins that we committed, but subsequently can go deeper than that and sanctify wholly and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's interesting because oftentimes when you read the Bible, you read through things you don't notice and you wonder why you missed it after a while. And in recent days, I was in my study and all of a sudden the passage jumped out that I want to deal with this evening. And it was interesting that Tom sang the song, He is Able to Deliver Thee. I want to talk to you along those lines, and it's a very familiar scripture. You really would probably not even have to turn to it. It's found in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's a part of the great Sermon on the Mount. And I'm reading, beginning with verse 9 through verse 13. And if you would stand with me, our reading tonight will be our prayer. <laughs> you remember that Jesus gave what we call commonly call the Lord's Prayer, which is indeed the Lord's model prayer. The Lord's Prayer, I believe, is found in John 17. But here is the prayer that he gives to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. He says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That last verse, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil sometimes translated the evil one who induces evil and the next statement is the resource by which he's able to do it for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever may my scripture be my prayer you may be seated for me to say to you tonight that uh, there is evil abroad in the land would be an understatement indeed. In fact, I'm not so sure, but what maybe I am facing and you are facing as near absolute evil as we have ever, ever seen in our lifetime. And I must say it's very progressive. This evil that we are witnessing was transmitted, you remember, to our first parents, Adam and Eve, by the now fallen Lucifer. Lucifer was an archangel at one time. Lucifer means the star of the morning. And he ultimately, through his fall, along with a third of the stars that fell with him, became the leader of the regions of the damned. We know him as Satan tonight. He's the devil. Now, if you read in Isaiah chapter 14, you read the words that Lucifer one day said, he said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heavens. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights. I will be like the Most High God. He had a desire to be like the Most High God. Let me say something I don't know that anybody's ever shared with you, and I, I think it's important to notice when God created the angels, and subsequently he created man, each of his, those creations had to confirm by their own choice their created order. In other words, they were created holy angels. You and I were created holy in the image of God. But there came a time in a span of probation that God required that both angels and man confirm their created state or reject it. And you know that Lucifer, along with a third of the angels, rejected it. And they fell from the heights of holiness and they're reserved in their final judgment until that day yet coming. Now it's interesting because Adam also had to make a choice. And his choice was confirmation, will I stay as God created me holy or will I choose to go into sin and as a result transmit sin across the whole human race, the whole family? Well, let me tell you, he made the terrible, terrible mistake of yielding to the voice of the tempter. In the Garden of Eden, he sinned and fell from the heights of holiness into sin and death and sin passed upon the whole human race. Now our choice is different. His choice was confirmation. Will I stay as I've been created or will I go into sin? Now the sin is passed on the whole human race. Our decision is not confirmation but restoration. Will I yield myself to God and be made holy or will I stay in sin and forever be separated from God? Now that I think it's important to notice because the evil that has ensued because of man's disobedience has been passed on whole, the whole mankind and has filled the earth with literally intrinsic misery. In fact, in Romans we read, The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together even until now. Lucifer, who we know very clearly as Satan, has an eternal and an incurable hatred for God. Because, you see, God did not plan for the redemption of angels. He only had one begotten son, and he gave him for the human race. Therefore, when the angels made their choice, they fixed their destiny, and now he has an incurable hatred for God. But he not only hates God, he hates what God loves. That's important to know because you and I created in his image, man, his creation represents his highest creation but also it rep we represent his greatest investment and because of that we are a target of the enemy's attacks we're living in a world that's evil now because of the evil one that has come to as Jesus said to steal to kill and to destroy Satan has been waging an untiring and a relentless war against all that's good and all that's holy, and all that's right. Now, self-will is the center of the image of the devil. I think Oswald Chambers said, sin in essence is simply my rights to my will to myself. I remember some time ago, I, re I took two years of typing, never learned how to type. <clears throat> but I know I used to carry a typewriter around with me to do all my work, 
and I, I, I could not believe it when I had a computer first time, I could just back up and get rid of the letter and go again. I, I, just, I'm, I didn't even have to take any white out off the screen. I learned that. But I, I remember reading that the first letter that wore out on a typewriter usually was the letter I. By the way, that's the center of sin, if you know, S-I-N. But they said it wore out not because we used it any more than any other letter, but when we used it, we used to strike it harder than any other letter. Well, I'll tell you, that's what sin does. It strikes this me, my, and mine very hard because the center of the image of the devil and fallen man is self-will, but the center of the image of God, as you know, is not my will, but thine be done. He prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was facing the cross. And with the rejection of God's will in the garden, sin entered into the picture. And sort of in a nutshell, that's the origin of sin. And there's a whole lot could be said about that. But I think it's uh, more important to know how to get out of the woods than, than conjecture or, or discuss how we got into the woods in the first place. So let that be sufficient of itself. Man sinned, and man's been paying the consequence of that ever since. Note the word evil. Jesus is honest in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Now, you know, we read that, and I'm not sure we really either believe it or understand it or if we even take time to notice it. Because, you see, it is the evil one that created this evil, and his name is Satan. There's only three places in the Bible that I've been able to find where Satan's voice is recorded. Let me just look at each one real quickly. Obviously in the Garden of Eden. Secondly, in the encounter of God and, and Job in, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 4, following the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit drives him in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Those are the only three places where the voice of Satan is recorded. Let me just mention and share with you why I say this. In the garden, of course, you know that God created the heavens and the earth, and he made this pristine, beautiful garden of Eden, and he placed Adam in the midst of the garden. Out from his side, he brought forth his helpmate Eve and gave them dominion over all that his hands had made, and it was a beautiful place indeed. However, in the garden, it appears that a beautiful creature, they spoke of him as a serpent, but he was a very beautiful creature, utters the word. You remember, God gave a great many permissions in the garden, but he gave also one prohibition. He said, all of this is yours, but in the midst of the garden, there is a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat of it, for if you eat of it, in that day you shall die. If you remember, Eve got where she shouldn't have been, apparently, and the serpent saw his chance to beguile her, and he looks at Eve and said, Yea, hath God said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Has God said? Can I tell you that very, that's the first question in the Bible. And it was posed by Satan himself, and what he was doing was casting aspersions against the integrity of God. Yea, has God said? And then he said to her, ye shall not surely die. Isn't that interesting? God said, if you eat it, you'll die. But he said, ye shall not surely die. And I want to tell you, that, that uh, teaching 
has been advanced to this very day. You can be a Christian and sin and not die. That is utterly unbiblical. You cannot sin without dying because the wages of sin is death. Now these two statements disputes, number one, the sovereignty of God, and secondly, it diminishes the severity of God. He said, did God say that? And he's questioning his sovereignty. You'll not die, and he questions the severity of God. From that moment on, the deceptive devil, along with depraved man, has filled the ages with unspeakable woe. By the way, if you want to see, it's interesting because the depravity of man is one thing that is almost totally rejected in our society today, but it's one of the most obvious facts that one could ever see looking at our humanity, and all you have to do is go over, over to the first chapter of Romans. I hardly can read that chapter in, at one setting. It just chokes me to read it, where they change the, the glory of God into corruption like man, and then it said like the birds of, and like the four-footed beasts of the field, and finally like creeping things. They literally drug God down until he was nothing but a creeping bug on, on this earth. And they said they, God gave them over to believe a lie and be damned. He gave them up and they now are abandoned of God. It's because of this depravity. We are witnessing, I mentioned just a moment ago, I think right before our eyes, uh, some of the most terrible evil that I've ever witnessed. Whenever you can take a man and without any compunction of conscience and lay him out and chop his head off and walk away and think you're doing God's will. Something terribly wrong with that. Whenever you can put them in cages and light them on fire and watch them burn in a cage, unable to get away from the fire, throw them off of high-rise buildings and cliffs and say all the time, you're doing it for God. That is a terrible religion. In fact, men always tend to become like the gods they serve. That's the study of comparative religions. If you conceive of your God being, in, being a, wick, a wicked God, you're going to be wicked in your life. If you conceive him being immoral, you'll have a life of immorality. But when you see God as a holy God, then his holiness and righteousness will be the standard of your living. We serve a holy God tonight. In fact, I have read often times, and I don't like to get into it, but sin is very progressive. It doesn't, we don't even know the total limit of sin, and we won't probably until hell itself enlarges itself. I think C.S. Lewis says you don't want to go to hell and see what a man who lands in hell, it looks like, because he won't be anything like you thought he was. He'll be anything but what he was when he was created, because the more a sinner a man is, the less a man that sinner is. We have no idea the progression of this thing called sin. Those of you who have been around a while, you remember there was a man by the name of Frederick Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche only lived to be about 55 years of age, but it's amazing the influence, the evil influence he left on this world. He was a tremendous influence of Adolf Hitler, to say the least. And uh, the last, I think, nine years of his life he spent in an insane asylum. He was crazier than a bed bug. But he taught that there was no God and that he was not a creator, and therefore we are our own creators. And yet somebody challenged him one day and said, that's true, you still have to reckon to this, with this thing called death. And he said, well, this is the way we'll reckon with death. We won't let death come to us, we'll go to it. And he said, that way death will not be the, uh, the victor, you will be the victor rather than the victim. 
Somebody said he glorified suicide. And we're seeing this, aren't we, in the suicide bombers and all that's going on. I didn't plan to go there, but this is the first appearance of Satan in the garden. Secondly, you remember he appeared in conversation with the Lord concerning Job. Remember, I don't know how it ever happened, but it says when the sons of God came to present themselves to the, God, to the Lord, Satan came also. I have no idea why he had access to that council. And Jesus looked at him and simply said, what have you been up to, Satan? Well, he said, I've been going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And in that, he was doing that, seeking whom he may destroy or devour. And so Satan then challenged God concerning Job's faithfulness. And you know the story probably better than I do, but he said Job faced the loss of his family. He faced the loss of his health. He faced the loss of his wealth. He suffered tremendous ridicule and accusations and aspersions from his so-called comforters, three of them. And even his wife looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, Satan played the cynic, and he said to God concerning Job, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thine hand now, touch him, his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to your face. In that one statement, you see the accuser, that's what Jesus is, by the, or Satan is, by the way, he's the accuser of the brethren. You see the accuser challenging our advocate. Jesus is the advocate. And when you see it, Satan prayed, P-R-E-Y-E-D, he prayed on people, he prayed, but the Savior, P-R-A-Y-E-D, prayed for us, and God had faith that Job would stay true in the crucibles of life, and Job did stay true, and after all of it, he looked up and said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, I'm, I think oftentimes we know that we're to have faith in God. But I don't know if we ever consider the fact that God has faith in us. And I worry sometimes that when we go through the crucibles, as Tom was mentioning tonight, you know, some of us through suffering, pain, and sorrow, and grief, and all the things we go through, just, just mark it down. God has faith that you're going to hold still in the crucibles of life, and he'll not allow you to bear more than you're able he has grace to sustain you all the way through it. And that's a good th place to just be pleasing to God. But there's a third place that Satan appeared in his voice, as I mentioned. It's in the wilderness. After he was baptized in the River Jordan, it said the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He was fasting without food and uh, in his weakest hour, I believe, he looked down, and there was like a little wheaten loaf of bread shaped rock. I have an idea the rock looked so much like the bread his mother used to bring out of the oven and put the butter on the top, you know, to keep the crust from getting hard. I can just see it. I can see it in my mind. And I'm sure whenever Satan pointed it out to Jesus, every salivary gland in his body began to fun function, whatever there was there. And he says, if you be the son of God, turn the stone into bread. Can I tell you what he was doing? He was denouncing, trying to get him to denounce the will of God. And every time Jesus responded, it is written, man does not live by bread alone because the word bread there represents all human, legitimate human needs. 
It could be an automobile, it could be clothes, it could be a lot of things. And when you put legitimate human needs first, you've already yielded to the first temptation. And he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. And there he defeated the enemy on that first temptation. Seek first, he said, the kingdom of God. But he not only tempted him to denounce the will of God, he also tempted him to distort the word of God. Do you remember he took him on a temple, a high place, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, why don't you just cast yourself down? He said, because it is written, his angels are given charge over you, lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. That, by the way, is a passage taken out of the 91st Division of the Psalm, and he did not quote it all because there was that which refuted the very temptation he was giving. And by the way, I have discovered most every heresy starts through the misuse of Scripture. And Satan was misusing the scripture, trying to get him to cast himself down and show himself how wonderful it was that the angels was able to save him. Oswald Chambers said that the signs and wonder people do not reveal their faith in the Savior. They rather show off their fantasies in themselves. We are not to tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But he not only tried to get him to denounce the will of God and to distort the word of God, he tried to get him to debase the worship of God. You know, uh, Jesus came to redeem fallen man. He did not come to do it through dramatics. He rather came to do it through his death. He said to him, fall down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You know, I think that's the height of blasphemy. Because Jesus knew what he was doing and I'm beginning to understand it better what he was doing to Jesus. He was trying to deflect him from the purpose of his and pathway which he came to travel. And he came to travel all the way to the cross. And he was trying to get him to evade the cross. It's said in Hebrews 9, it's appointed unto man once to die. But do you know, Jesus did not die because he was a man. He reversed cause and effect. He became a man in order to die. <laughs> he came on purpose to die. For this cause came I into the world, I must be lifted up. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. This spoke he of the death that he should die. Dennis Kinlaw, the great Hebrew scholar of Asbury, was talking to him on the phone probably a couple months ago now, and he's 96 years of age, and mind just as clear as it could be. But he asked me, he said, Nelson, did you ever compare the temptation in the garden with the temptation in the wilderness? The temptation of Adam and Eve with the temptation of Christ? And I said, no, but I'm interested in what you want to tell me. <laughs> because he never asked a question because he wants to tell, tell you something. Well, he said, in the garden, if you remember, Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve was, don't be who you are, be like God. You'll become as gods, knowing good and evil. But he said, when he tempted Jesus, he said, Jesus, stay who you are, don't be man. And if that would have happened, folks, you and I could never have been redeemed. 
because it was through death that he destroyed him that had the, the power of death, which is the devil, and he knew if he went to the cross, he was done. And folks, aren't you glad that he didn't yield to the voice of Satan? Now, I, throw, I, I guess I've thrown all that at you at a short time, but many are deceived at this point today. There are two things we are being told today, and I'm talking about in the Christian church world, that I think is one of the most deceptive teachings abroad. One I've already mentioned. You can sin and not die. That's absolutely untrue. You sin, you'll die. The wages of sin is death. The other thing is you can be a disciple without bearing a cross. That's impossible. And I'm not talking about your lumbago. I'm not talking about the hardship you face. The world faces those things. I'm talking about a crucifixion that has to be internalized following the new birth. I want to make that very clear because I think I'm, I'm preaching to exactly who God wanted me to preach just because I feel good about what he's saying to me. Do you know the real battle that's taking place in this world, remember, deliver me from evil, is the battle between Satan and the Savior. We're caught in the middle of this. I want to show you why that's true. The souls of men are what both of them are wanting. Jesus wants you, and Satan wants you. In fact, if you remember whenever uh, Peter denied his Lord, if you remember, Satan challenged God. And then it said, and Jesus prayed. For Simon Peter, and the prayer was how somehow Satan had the ability to go to the very throne of God and challenge God's rights on Peter because he said, I want him for myself. But Jesus says, I'm pressing your case forward because I want you for myself. In that teaching, both Satan and the Savior was bidding high for the soul of Simon Peter. And I want you to know he's doing the same thing to you and me. Now, you remember a moment ago I said to you what Satan, or what Satan said in revealing his activity on the earth, going up and down to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it. In 2 Chronicles, God lifts his veil through Hanani, and when he reproved Asa for relying on the Syrians rather than the Lord, and he writes these words, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose hearts is perfect toward him. Let me pose a question to you. Of these two opposing forces, Satan and the Savior, which side are you on? Now, you don't answer me, but be honest in your own heart. Which side are you really on? Because Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. He further says, he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad because there is no neutrality when it comes to Christ. I do believe we have the idea, oh, well, I don't claim to be a Christian, but I'm, not, I'm pretty good, good old Joe. In fact, we have what we call a religion of uh, an autosoteric religion. Now, that's a word we don't use any very much, but here's the attitude. Well, in the end, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, it's all going to be okay. That's not true. Not true at all. In fact, the world is to Satan what the church is to Christ. And when I say church, I'm not talking about denomination. I'm not talking about a Baptist, a Nazarene, or 
Church of Christ, Christian Union, Methodist. I'm talking about the called out ones, the ecclesia, the children of God. Whatever the world is to Satan, the church is to Christ, and the purpose is to extend their nature. Now, that scares me, and I'll tell you why, and I hope it scares you. The world is the means by which Satan seeks to desanctify, to demoralize, or destroy the universe. Now, we're getting close to this evil we prayed. The evil that the Lord's Prayer was referencing Deliver us from evil. And if you remember, he gave that prayer to his disciples. He's not talking about the general evil in the world, and certainly we need his protection. He's talking about something within the heart of that prayer. It's called the carnal mind. The carnal mind that will not subject itself to the law of God is hostile to God. It is, and I want to take it slow, I want you to hear me carefully, in my estimation of carnality that we talk about it and I'm not sure we understand the ugliness of it. I don't know that I ever want to understand it fully, but I understand it enough to say it is Satan's incarnate reign in this world. In other words, when I said to you, I'm glad that God not only forgave me, but he also came the second time and cleansed me from this satanic evil force within me called the carnal mind that will not obey God, that is constantly hostile to God. It is his incarnate reign in this world to spread his evil stuff. In other words, our lives, unsanctified, can be populating hell and gaining victory for Satan every day. I know we don't like to hear it, but the church, and when I say the church, and I'm thankful for the church, we, we understand the church organiz, organization has its problems, that's because we're human beings. But the living church of which Christ is the head, the church is God's method to reach and redeem a fallen world and God's work will be hindered in advancing his kingdom if we allow carnality to remain in our hearts and carnality the carnal mind you can read it over in Romans 8 the carnal mind is dethroned when you're saved but it takes sanctification to destroy it so that you don't have a divided loyalty in here. You do not want Satan in the citadel of your soul. <laughs> you want to be free from all that he is. In praying the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. The prayer is only valid and effective if it rises from the heart that where evil has summarily been dealt with. Now, I've never taking time to deal with this except to you. So you're my guinea pig. I just feel strongly about it, and I decided I wanted to share it with you. Let me say it again. We pray the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But that prayer, when we were, you know, sometimes I think we just say these prayers like a ritual, like some, some liturgy. 
I know they do it all the time. Well, let's say the Lord's Prayer, our Father art in heaven. It's a wonderful prayer, but man, the import of this prayer goes deeper than I think most of us have any idea. This prayer, when you read it, is only valid and effective, especially when you said, deliver us from evil, if it rises from the heart that has dealt summarily with the evil within. In other words, with the sanctified, this has tremendous power. With the unsanctified, it's interesting, having taught his disciples to pray, God expects his Christians who pray this prayer to receive what they pray for, and the work of sanctification is the experience that delivers us from evil. And I know there's been people in the church, I've preached a lot of years, who have been saved, walking with God, and they hear this message, I can be cleansed from all evil, and for some reason they reject it. Well, I got saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Don't worry about it. There's an enemy in the soul that hates God, won't obey the law of God, and is the incarnate reign of Satan here in this very world, just like Jesus was incarnate when he walked in the world. But the incarnation is us. Many seek deliverance from the evil in the world. I don't think I've ever seen evil so blatant as I've seen now. In fact, you know what they're saying? This is, this is the new norm. If it's the new norm, we don't have any hope at all. I'm glad this is not the new norm. But I do want you to note, we pray in our churches, Lord, stop these evil men. and Stop the evil in the world. Stop the wars and on and on and on. I have to tell you, I'd like to see that happen. But many of those who are praying for the external evil has never honestly confessed the uncleanness or the evil in their own heart. And God declares, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I can pray all I want to, but my Bible says he won't hear me. We pray, God, abolish evil from the earth, abolish it in other men, but oftentimes we, the children of God, are reticent, if not almost totally resistant when we are exhorted to begin at Jerusalem. That's where he said to go. The day of Pentecost, they were filled, and he said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, but go here first, Jerusalem. Now, I've said it over and over, and I think repetition is supposed to be a good teacher, and that's why I'm doing it. When we are born of the Spirit of God, we're forgiven of all the sins we've committed. But now we move from the birth of the Spirit to the baptism of the Spirit, and it's the baptism of the Spirit which is the means of cleansing us from all sin. Understand, God can forgive the sinner, but he cannot forgive the sin. This sin has to be cleansed or has to be crucified. Let me ask you in these few moments I got left. <clears throat> I, I've been taken back, I guess, since the election, and, and I don't get political. I, everybody has their political views, but I got to tell you, I'm looking for something far, far higher than Washington, D.C. or anywhere else. <clears throat> but I have to tell you, the fact of all the evil in the world, isn't it interesting whenever somebody of their party didn't get elected, they go around crying and they go around rioting and they go around burning and looting 
and all kind of vile, wicked actions in Washington, D.C., Congress, the whole mess. It's just like a bunch of brats running our government or ruining our government. I'll just say it that way. I don't know. And then these little college students, they called them snowflakes, and they were so distraught, they had to have little comfort zones for them to go in. They canceled. You, you've seen all of that. I have to tell you, I was shocked. I was shocked to the very bottom of my soul because let me tell you something, those who were so exercised with this external evil that we are witnessing in this world, the world, the most they can do to me or you is to destroy the body. That's all. Well, preacher, that's enough. No, listen to me. But the inward evil in the heart that we don't even consider, that we hardly ever want to come to revival, that we don't even want to get involved in, the evil in the heart can destroy both body and soul in hell. My question, I guess, is very simple. Why would they be so exercised about a body that's going to go back to the worms in a few years? And have no consideration about the carnal mind that is evil that will destroy us in hell. Christ has provided for the total cleansing of the heart, but he who harbors, harbors evil in their heart, I can tell you this much, he can never successfully pray for the destruction anywhere else. Satan is out to destroy you and he's out to destroy me. Do you know there are, only, there are four major forces in the world and they're all invisible? The four major forces in the world, the world, and that world is not this terrestrial we're talking about, we're talking about a spirit, worldliness, if you please, that which lives horizontally but not vertically, that seeks self but not holiness, the world, the flesh. That word flesh is not this soma flesh, it's the sarks. Remember Romans 8, it says, they who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, if you think that's talking about the physical body, we're all in the flesh. That means nobody can please God. So we know that isn't true because the very next verse says, but you're not in the flesh. The flesh he's talking about is this evil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three invisible evil forces. But we got a greater force. He's called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you know, we don't want to live with a divided loyalty in our heart, and especially when that other loyalty is anti-God and anti-Christian. And the difference between victory and defeat over evil is a heart matter. I remember hearing Harry Jessup, the great English expositor, president of the evangelistic, Chicago Evangelistic uh, College some years ago, he said the world at its worst, needs the church at her best. If ever we need the church at its best, it's in the day that you and I live. And consequently, we need to pray that everyone will experience this perfection of love, this perfect heart, because he will do so only when our hearts are perfect toward him. That's what he said in Chronicles. The time's going to come and I'm looking forward to it as you are when every vestige of sin will finally be removed the day is coming when the redeemed of all ages will stand in perfect relationship with the father through the son and will never see sin enter again interestingly enough and I'm through 
It's interesting to me, the name Satan does not appear in the first two chapters of Genesis, nor does it appear in the last two chapters of Revelation. And I must tell you, the lion has prevailed, all evil has banished, and the war of the ages is over, and he has won. I want to be on the winning side. I don't want to be a contributor to evil. I don't want the devil to use my temple that is God's to come and dwell and cleanse and possess, to take control of me. And no matter how nice a Joe I am, no matter how many charitable things I do, he's going to get glory through me in this world. I don't want the devil to have an ounce of glory. And I asked the question a while ago, which side are you really on? Which kingdom are you advancing? Because if we allow carnality to remain, if we, who are God's children, never been sanctified without pursuing holiness of heart and life, we are advancing the wrong kingdom. I want to be his every ounce. I have to tell you, I wrestled with taking time because I knew it engaged a whole lot more than maybe you wanted to try to understand. But I, I just feel like we pray, deliver us from evil. Are you willing for that to start right here? Or are you just thinking it's in the world? No, no. It's here. I want you to stand and bow your heads with me. And You say, I don't fully understand everything. I understand that. I didn't either. But I can tell you, God wants not only to forgive you as a sinner, and he does that on the basis of your turning from sin and repenting, but he wants to cleanse sin. The old man of sin will not repent. So because it won't repent, he can't forgive it. And so he does the next best thing, he cleanses it. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified. He cleanses by the cross. That's why you can't be his disciple without a cross. Father, we are yours tonight. We believe we're talking to some of the best. But Lord, you have told us to deliver this to your people for a reason. It may be someone has never realized the ugliness of this thing called sin. This thing called the carnal mind, this evil that you're wanting us to pray deliverance from, from the one who is the power and the glory forever. We want God. If there is even one here tonight who has never come and petitioned you to cleanse them from the evil one, that this would be the moment of that cleansing. May there be victory tonight, we pray.